0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Tino. a pulmonary and critical care doctor from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And it's a privilege to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Colin Swenson from Emory University in Atlanta. And we're here to talk about bronchiectasis. Uh, the title of our session, of our discussion, is Vortex Management, the Diagnostic Algorithm for Bronchiectasis for the Primary Care Physician, as well as a specialist. So, Colin, um, when you see a patient with, with bronchiectasis, or, and as you teach your, your residents and fellows, et cetera, about bronchiectasis, what are the, the sort of cardinal signs and symptoms that you look for, and, and what are the red flags that a non-expert should ask for and recognize in the diagnosis of bronchiectasis?
0: Good, very good question, Greg. I, you know, I think that um, the number one symptom that most of these patients complain of is is a chronic cough, and it can be productive and it can be non-productive. But certainly, one of the red flags that I look for is a chronic cough. Usually, it's you know more than six months. Typically, it's been going on for years, and it can be productive of mucopurulent sputum. sputum. Uh, so those are those are sort of the you know the first thing that I think about. Another thing that I that I commonly think about. Is I get quite a few referrals uh, from primary care doctors for patients who have a longstanding diagnosis of COPD, but they've never smoked. They've never picked up a cigarette in their life. So that's a that's also a, a pretty, uh, pretty big red flag. So, um, I, I think those, and certainly some of the other symptoms that we see, like coughing up blood or hemoptysis, um, certainly if they've, you know, perha- perhaps isolated really strange pathogens, uh, multi drug resistant pathogens or non tuberculous mycobacterial pathogens before from the sputum or from a bronchoscopy, those are all red flags uh, to consider bronchiectasis as a diagnosis.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought the one about the COPD, right? The never smoker with recurrent exacerbations that that that's missed for a long time so i i so pseudomonas you know you, when you talked about sort of unusual pathogen certainly yep. pseudomonas and somebody who shouldn't have pseudomonas and the sputum is a red flag and then and of course the other one is you know if somebody has two three four respiratory tract infections a year oh yeah antibiotics. so that's that's um that's another one to add. Yeah, but- good
0: point. A lot of these folks will have uh, recurrent "quote unquote" pneumonia, or they'll get you know bronchitis "quote unquote" you know three or four times a year. Those are those are other um, you know potential uh, red flags. Yep. So, Greg, you know, once once a a patient has been identified um, as uh, as having you know potentially bronchiectasis um, in your clinical practice, what are the next steps?
1: So um, one of the things that. Of course, when we approach these patients, I, I always say that there are two major goals. One is to identify that they have bronchiectasis to make the diagnosis. And second, as importantly, is to try to identify potential underlying causes, because as you know, doing so can impact the management ultimately in, in a large number of cases. So so to start simply, I think the HRCT scan is clearly the most important, it's the gold standard, non-invasive diagnostic study for bronchiectasis. And as important as identifying the bronchiectasis, as you were well aware, the pattern of abnormality can sometimes actually suggest a specific diagnosis. So typical features of non-tuberculous mycobacterial infection, right? right middle lobe and lingular bronchiectasis with nodules. Somebody with central bronchiectasis and mucoid impaction, you think about allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis. So that's the key one um and and then obviously we we will do a workup uh, looking for other underlying causes um and that can get a little tricky
0: that can yeah that can that can definitely get tricky because there's so many potential etiologies and sometimes you know just despite our best effort we just really can't come up with an etiology, a yep. definitive etiology, you know, whether it's, you know, past uh, respiratory infections, whether it's, you know, prior pulmonary tuberculosis, you know, we're we're discovering more and more that patients have one CFTR mutation, you know, though, though they don't have full-blown cystic fibrosis. So it, it really is, you know, a, a variety of etiologies and that's I think you'll agree with me. As one of the biggest challenges, as somebody who specializes in in non CF bronchiectasis, is to is to do that workup, right? Um, and, and try to find the ideology. And like you said, you know, oftentimes on on CT we can get some clues. I like that you mentioned, you know, allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis with the really central bronchiectasis. You know, if they've got upper lobe bronchiectasis, that calls to mind, of course, cystic fibrosis lower lobe, we think about immunodeficiencies and ciliary dyskinesias and so forth, but um, but sometimes some further uh, serologic testing or sweat chloride testing, what have you, um, can provide uh, further clues. But uh, I think you know I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, but I, I really do think that um, you know all roads once you once you make the diagnosis, especially if there's a mucoid impaction on the CT, is to get the patient on airway clearance techniques.
1: yep now I, I I agree with that and and I think um, th- that workup um, is probably best in the hands of somebody who has an interest and has an expertise in bronchiectasis. But one yep. of the questions that comes up all the time is, is you know we rely on our primary care colleagues to 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 identify these patients or at least raise the possibility of bronchiectasis. So one of our best friends is prior records and and some data for us to work with when we first see a patient. So what kind of studies do you think um, our primary care doctors should tee up for us uh, for a patient with suspected bronchiectasis?
0: Well, you know I think that, you know a good medical history is is number one. Are these people having regular respiratory infections? How many times have they required antibiotics in a year? you know, what medications have they already tried and failed, whether it be inhaled corticosteroids, uh, bronchodilators, et cetera. Um, Sometimes a simple chest x-ray can help. Although, as you mentioned, really high resolution CAT scan is the gold standard. So if there's a consideration, I mean, it's always great if we can get uh, that study done prior to referral over to a specialist So, so really the, the high resolution CAT scan uh, would be, you know, would be phenomenal and really just a really good medical history, I think is, is very important.
1: Yeah. And all the technology and all the studies we have, sometimes the history gets and the exam get, get short drifted, but you're exactly right. And I've had, I've had patients refer to me where the primary care doctor has a pretty good idea of what the cause is, even yep. before before the patient gets to us. So one of the things I think the HRCT is is clearly indispensable, and and one of the things, two of the things that I think would be helpful is one, a set of lung function studies, so yes. a set of PFTs would be helpful, like a spirometry, and, yep. yeah, yeah, totally. at least a spirometry, and yep. then and then if, if possible, a sputum a sputum culture. You know, we've. We've preached the importance of directing therapy towards the sputum culture. Yes. So having, having some idea of the bacteriology about whether somebody has pseudomonas or whether they've got another pathogen, um, if possible, uh, would also be very helpful.
0: Yeah, completely completely agree. And at that point, you know, it it sometimes is necessary to get pulmonary involved. Is to re- or or refer to a specialist uh with specific expertise in bronchiectasis. And that's where you know further workup can be done, maybe some testing that wasn't already thought about um or or getting uh, airway clearance advanced airway clearance techniques started. Yep.
1: So when when should our primary care colleagues think about sending a patient with suspected bronchiectasis to us. Do they do they do the evaluation maybe that we just talked about and see how they do and then send us, or should we see them, in your opinion, sooner rather than later?
0: I think it's, you know, it's never, I think yes and yes, it's never, it's never wrong to refer early um, because these patients do need to be followed pretty regularly, especially based on their history. So if they've, if this is a frequent exacerbator, somebody who's requiring antibiotics more than three times per year, that's somebody I would go ahead and record along. Likewise, um, I've had uh, some patients who are very, very stable, um, minimal symptoms over a very long period of time. Those patients can usually be followed by their their primary care
1: doctor. Yeah, that's a really important point. So I, you know, I tend to say, send them to us early so that we can get the the proper evaluation that's in our area of expertise and get them started on a treatment regimen that makes sense for them. And as you said, you know, when you're working with, you know, a a great colleague um, who you can send back and have them do their primary care over a period of time and then send them back to us. If things change or if things get more complicated, but I think, you know, in this day and age, where access to physicians really becomes a challenge, I think working together as a team can really be um, can really be very fruitful for not only the the primary care doctor and the specialist, but also certainly most importantly, uh, the patient. So I think I think that's a really important point.
0: And Greg, you know, the, the last point I'll make is that. As we get more into targeted therapeutics for bronchiectasis, I think yep. that's another reason to refer these folks to a specialist early. You know, if we can identify what the underlying cause is, uh, if we can identify what what the, the specific phenotype is of the bronchiectasis, if they're a frequent exacerbator, then potentially we can get them on, on some of these newer targeted treatments as they
1: become available. Great. So that was a really great discussion, Colin. Um, and I think we're coming towards the end of our time. And I just thought that I would uh, I would summarize just the important points that, that you and I have, have sort of put forward. So the, the first one is that the cardinal signs and symptoms or symptoms most prominently to look for for our primary care doctors are chronic cough and spina production, recurrent respiratory tract infections that require antibiotics, a patient who presents with recurrent exacerbations and is a never smoker who's been coined COPD should raise the possibility of bronchiectasis. And as you mentioned, if there's an unusual bacteria that's isolated from sputum like pseudomonas where there's no other reason to have that. Those should all be very important, uh, really important symptoms and, and information for us to for the diagnosis of bronchiectasis to be suggested. We talked about the importance of an HRCT scan to establish the diagnosis of bronchiectasis and perhaps point to a specific diagnosis. Uh, we talked about other diagnostic studies that our primary care colleagues can tee up for us, including PFTs um, and the sputum culture, just a plain old traditional sputum culture. Uh, and I think we're both very much in agreement that that a referral to pulmonary, to one of us, um, is important to get the workup started, get them on a treatment uh, regimen, and then really share the care and potentially even turn over the care of the patient back, back to the primary care doctors.
0: Anything else that I missed? No, I think that's, I think that's great. We, uh, we love working closely with our primary care colleagues and uh, always happy to help with these patients who can be pretty complicated and challenging sometimes to
1: treat. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Greg, it was really
0: good talking to
1: you. Yeah, it was a pleasure to see you. Take care. You too. Thanks, everyone. You've been
0: listening to CME on ReachMD.